Hey everybody, it's Still Sober with John Rabin once again. I'm John Rabin. If you're a sober person, hope you're staying sober. If you're not a sober person, hope you're staying sane. All right, got the intro out of the way. Yay! Here we are. Take my coat off and stay a, a, a minute. Feeling very relaxed. I said last week that I just needed a win, like a small win. Got our uh, scooter up and running, the uh, Buddy 125cc scooter. It can go fast, but I don't drive it fast because I'm old. Durr. Um, But I've been riding it to work, and it's, uh, yeah. Talked about it last week, just like a little small wind kind of turned around my mood because I was getting in those, uh, I don't know, that January, February, just kind of blah type of feel. Um, and, um, and it kind of went away. Well, yeah, rest of the week was good. Beginning of the week's okay. Now I got to go to the doctor tomorrow and they've got to stick a camera, um, down my penis to see how my bladder's doing. Um, it's got a fancier word than what I just described, but that's basically what's going to happen. Um, I've had, I've had this a couple times before, so it's, it's, this is not like, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like. I know what it's going to be like. Um, I can tell you this, it's not pleasant, but it's more effective than coffee in the morning. It will get you started. Your awareness will be top. Um, anyway, sorry, not to get off the topic, but, uh, just saying things are going all right. I have to do something for this episode that some people like, some people don't like. But if you know about it, then you can then determine whether you're going to listen to the rest of the episode or, and follow along or not. And that is, I am going to go through this article called Redefining Sobriety. Uh, what does being sober mean today? For many, not full abstinence. And then the subline is more younger Americans are shunning alcohol while embracing cannabis, ketamine, and psychedelics, shaking up the field of addiction medicine. All right. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to just talk talk shit. Um, excuse me. I'm going to uh, provide my input as we go through this article, because there's, there's a lot of times when I read something on this podcast, it's like a couple of lines from a thing I read. And then I just sit there and, and, um, and talk shit. This, there's several beats in this. So it's going to probably, this is what I'm going to do for this, this episode. Now I've had people who are like, I don't like it when you read stuff, which either that means they don't like the rhythm of me reading. They prefer to just hear me talk. Or they don't like the way I read. I don't know. I I didn't reply back. Oh, what did what did you fucking mean by that? But it's fine. I I do this so often. Um, the criticism I got about it was like a couple of years ago. So I don't even think that they're still around. So I'm thinking if you're still around, you pretty much accepted me for who I am on the podcast in podcast form and you're, and you're fine with it. Are you fine with it? Well, let's see. Anyway, that's, that's this article. 
Uh, before that one, I did find another one, but this was an older article that said, introducing the new casual sobriety. Um, but but I vice.com is, is like worthless. And I have a bone to pick with uh, with this, which is it's a very simple um, thing that I believe, which is that words mean things. I do not alike <laughs> appreciate. I said, I do not alike. I do not appreciate and I do not like redefining what a word means to get around how you deal with the situation that you're dealing with. I don't like how people keep trying to redefine things and change the names instead of dealing with whatever issue the words represent. Words mean things. Sobriety means you're sober. This California sober bullshit and, and any kind of, you know, they're like, Oh, casual sobriety. That's not sobriety. Sobriety is just being sober. And like, oh, I'm occasionally sober. Most people are. Most drunks are, are sober at some point. When I was a drunk, I was sober more than I was drunk. If you do the, the, the math with the hours, I was sober more than I was drunk. But I was a drunk. Anyway, let's, let's get to it. Uh... I don't know. The, the, the Mike Reed, a musician and Uber driver in Eric. Okay. Uh, stories. I don't care. We'll just skip through. Mr. Reed, 43, began smoking marijuana. Talk about his drinking problem. More recently, he went to a clinic for infusions of ketamine and tried tiny doses of psychoactive mush mushrooms. Mr. Reed says these substances improved his mood. And he still regards himself as sober because he remains alcohol-free. Now, stopping here. Mr. Reed. Mr. Reed, he's younger than me. Mike, listen to me. You're not sober. You've just quit alcohol. You basically have found a way to function. You separated yourself from drinking. But now you've hooked on to weed and microdosing mushrooms and you're doing ketamine and you're like oh no it's a clinic it, it's a, it's a clinical is it a clinic is it a doctor do you have a medical professional administrating ketamine are you sure it's not an ex-stripper who went to a class you sure it's not just somebody who used to deliver pizzas and now they're like, and here you go. Like it's a medical professional for ketamine. It's like ketamine. Yeah. It used to be called special K. We used to fucking do ketamine. That was a thing. It's like a horse tranquilizer. You could put in the microwave and which turned it into a powder. And then you could chop it up and then snort the powder. Now that, Granted, that's not what they're doing with these infusions, but still, that's doing Special K. I'm sure it's changed slightly, but it's still you're doing Special K. You're not sober. Congratulations on stopping drinking. 
I'm sure, wink, wink, that you continuing with microdosing mushrooms, smoking weed, and doing ketamine clinically, quote unquote, will not um, go out of control and you will be able to maintain that the rest of your life financially and emotionally. I'm sure that that's what's going to happen. Not to be too judgmental. It's not judgment. I'm just like, mm, I, yeah, it's, it certainly is working at this moment. You know what worked for me for about a year? Heroin. Well, not a year, more like six months, but for six months, wasn't a problem. Anyway, just also side note, everybody that I know who's ever microdosed mushrooms in retrospect, kind of an asshole, kind of annoying. I mean, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it. Just know that your perception of how, how you're acting and how you are versus what other people say. Don't know. Jury's out. You do what you like. Anyway. My, but my, my point is you're not sober. Sobriety means you're not on any shit. That's basically, if it's not, All right, we'll get to it. I think it actually says this. Okay, notions of what constitutes sobriety and problematic substance use has grown more flexible in recent years as younger Americans have shunned alcohol in increasing numbers while embracing cannabis and psychedelics, a phenomenon that alarms some addiction experts. It doesn't alarm me. I'm just more annoyed about the terminology. This makes sense. I mean, we go through waves. It is weird, by the way. I found out that, like, this new batch of comedians, open mics, like, for comedy, the reason that different bars would have open mics is because you would have... It's not because an open mic draws an audience, because it does not. What it does is it draws about 20 to 30 wannabe comedians maybe a few actual comedians who are just working on material. But for the most part, just a bunch of about 30 struggling amateurs to show up and drink while they're preparing themselves to get on stage or they just went on stage and they sucked. So they get off stage and like, man, that sucked. I'm going to get some booze in me. And that's how a bar makes money by having an open mic. But apparently this newer generation, none of these motherfuckers drink. Therefore, these open mics are going to slowly get phased out because if you stop drinking, the bar's not making any money off of you. So why have a terribly annoying thing as an open mic if you're not even going to make any money? Anyway, that's, that's a side note on that. So, all right, let's see. Not long ago, sobriety was broadly understood to mean abstaining from all intoxicating substances. And the term was often associated with people who have, who had overcome severe forms of addiction not long ago. Yeah, that's what it means. Not long ago, that's what sobriety meant. You know what it means today? The same goddamn thing. All right. These days, 
it is used more expansively, incorrectly, I might add. Anyway, including by people who have quit drinking alcohol but consume what they deem moderate amounts of other substances. What they deem moderate amounts. That's correct. And this Mike Reed goes, just because someone has a drinking problem doesn't mean they have a problem with every single thing. Yeah, that's what some people think. But we'll see. As some drugs come to be viewed as wellness boosters by those who use them, adherence to the full abstinence model favored by organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous is shifting. Some people call themselves California sober. These people are called assholes. A term popularized in a 2021 song by the pop star Demi Lovato, who later disavowed the idea, saying on social media that sober sober is the only way to be. Yeah, that's right. I remember when she did that shit. It was like, well, I'm not going to judge you. Because whatever works for you, if it works for you, great. However, historically, doesn't work. And it sounds like some shit went down for her to come on and go, hey, uh, n- never mind. Forget about that. And it wasn't that long either. It was like a month later. Like a month later, it was like, ah, sober, sober is the only way to be, guys. Sorry. Yeah, that's because you've got an addiction problem. All right, just because someone has a drinking problem doesn't mean that they have a problem with every single thing. Uh, yeah, sometimes that's that's the case. Depends on the person. But for the most part, if you've got an addictive personality, if you switch to something else, it starts increasing because you're trying to get that level of numb. You're trying to get that level of whatever. Anyway. Um, approaches that might have once seemed ludicrous, like treating opioid addiction with psychedelics, have gained broader enthusiasm among doctors as drug overdoses kill tens of thousands of Americans each year. The abstinence-only model is very restrictive, said Dr. Peter Grinspoon. Terrible name a primary care physician at Massachusetts General Hospital who specializes in medical cannabis and is a recovering opioid addict. We really have to meet people where they are and have a broader recovery tent. Side note, I can't smoke weed. When I smoke weed, it makes me want to do heroin. So it did not work for me. However, I also know people who smoke weed and used to be like, used to be meth heads, but they smoke weed now which actually makes a little bit more sense because it's the complete opposite. You know, like weed's more on the the side of downer, right? It's more in that kind of area versus meth. So I don't, you know, it's not going to going to trigger you. It's going to trigger it's going it's going in the opposite direction probably triggers you a little bit different. Um, the reason weed worked for them is because um, when I asked them, they were like, hey, it's, you know, there was never a doubt in their mind that they were going to be fine just smoking weed. And I think that that's, that's the the mindset. You can't go in thinking, I, I wonder if this will work for me. Probably won't. 
All right. Uh, it is impossible to know how many Americans consider themselves part of an increasingly malleable concept of sobriety, but there are indications of shifting views of uh, acceptable substance use. Since 2000, alcohol use among younger Americans has declined significantly, according to a Gallup poll. At the same time, the use of cannabis and psychedelics has risen as state laws and attitudes grow more permissive, even as both remain illegal under federal law. Blah, blah, blah. Dr. Nora Volkow, a psychiatrist who since 2003 has led the National Institute on Drug Abuse, a division of the National Institutes of Health, said she was trained to think that the only way out of an addiction is total and full sobriety. I don't, I don't agree with that. She goes, over the years, she said, she came to see this as unrealistic for some patients. I agree. Reduced use or replacing highly addictive drugs like opioids with cannabis may be a decent outcome for certain people. That's correct. They, however, once again, they're not sober. All right. You come to realize that there are people there that are able to recover, and yet they are not absolutely free of every substance. Right. Weigh in. Um, the concept is shaking up the field of addiction medicine. Adherence of the full abstinence model, which includes Narcotics Anonymous, follow a 12-step process that includes... Blah, 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 blah. We all know what 12-step is. Um, the danger of abusing opioids and alcohol has become increasingly clear in recent years, but questions remain in the medical community about the risks of some drugs now often touted as wellness enhancers rather than guilty pleasures. Cannabis products as sleep aids, ketamine infusions to treat depression, <clears throat> and psychoactive mushrooms to ease anxiety. Addiction specialists said the legal status of cannabis and psychedelics has made it hard to rigorously study their risks and medical potential, even as more people turn to them to self-medicate. Doing so carries risks. Cannabis can be addictive, some doctors note. Psychedelic trips can be psychologically destabilizing. Yeah, the psycho part is in the name, they say, and in rare cases have triggered psychotic episodes. Uh, Let's see, blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, okay. Dr. Volkow says that although recent clinical trials involving psychedelics were promising, she's worried that the hype surrounding the therapeutic use of that class of drugs, along with medical cannabis, has outpaced the science. It's clear that for some people, an experience with some of these substances can be very revealing, but for others, it can be very traumatizing, she said. Addiction treatment centers have responded with concern to the shifting definitions of sobriety. Uh, Dr. Joseph Lee, the president of the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation, the the nation's largest nonprofit addiction treatment provider. If you're a nonprofit, why are you so fucking expensive, Joseph? Said that people with severe substance use problems are generally the least equipped to make wise decisions about drug use. And here's this quote. One truth about risk in people is that we are all do a very poor job of assessing our own risk. He added that the, that he had grown concerns about claims from new cannabis and psychedelic ventures as they compete for business. They know exactly who they are targeting. And those people who are being targeted are misassessing 
their risk. All right. Now I give Joseph this. It's a really good point. That's the biggest problem with this, this shit is the people that are pushing for psychedelics and weed and bucket motherfucking ketamine to treat your addiction problem. Is that it's a new mar emerging markets, you know, and they're trying to make money. And suddenly you're thinking, well, maybe they, you know, oh, they couldn't possibly be uh, making shit up. Yeah. Just to, just to sell more shit. I mean, it's, you know, big pharma. This is like small pharma, but it's still pharma. It's the whole, the whole idea is, oh, we're trying to help people. We're also trying to help us make billions. You can't trust it. You know, you get a, you get a big company, you get a small company. It's, it's, you've got to do some research, but they're targeting people that they know they can get because those people, like I said, I, I, I love that statement that, that we all do a very poor job of assessing our own risks. Like we're really, you know, oh, this, this might, no, I'm, I'm fine. I seem fine. Sure. I smoke so much weed that I just lay around and I don't get as much done as I used to but I'm not as stressed as I was. Huh? I'm way less productive, but I'm, my anxiety is down. It's kind of a trade-off, but I like this one. Does that mean that's good? I don't know, but you can't really, you don't know until it gets, until your situation gets so bad that you feel that you're, then you find yourself in a spot and you're like, I can't pull myself out. People will notice it around you first. They're like, hey, what the fuck's wrong with you, man? When's the last time you showered? Anyway. Maya Richard Craven, a journalist from Pasadena, California, said she had thought a lot about mitigating risks since she went to rehab in 2019 for her alcohol use, after her alcohol use became a problem. She said she relapsed in 2020. A lot of people did consumed by anxiety early in the pandemic and later turned to cannabis, regarding it as a healthier way to take the edge off. But by 2021, she said she was smoking excessively to the point where I wanted to not feel anything. That prompted her to put down the pipe and publish, publish an essay warning about the risks of California sober. There you go. That's the thing. There are some people... Like that, like that 43 year old skateboarder, um, the, the, the Uber driver, musician and skateboarder, um, that have that, that say is like, Hey, just cause you have a problem with drinking. Doesn't mean that if you start doing drugs, you're going to have a problem with drugs. No, but historically. You kind of do. I think it all depends on why you drink. Why did you drink so much all the time? Is it, what were you, were you trying to deaden the pain? Or just deaden any kind of feeling? If you start smoking weed, 
you start doing other things. And then you start feeling things even through it. You're going to start doing more of it and then do more of it to where your priority is not feeling versus, you know, just trying to function and using that to help you function. Uh, let's see. Da -da -da -da. Oh, she said that uh, she resumed, Ms. Richard Craven said she has resumed using marijuana, but with greater restraint, typically smoking no more than half a joint at the end of the workday and the rest before bedtime. She does, cr she credited cannabis for helping regulate her appetite, improving her sleep, um, and most of all, easing distress after a sexual assault. Still, Ms. Richard Craven said she believed people with serious addictions should steer clear of all substances for at least their first year of recovery. That first year, you're all over the place. And that's true. That first year is, is a doozy. And the thing about it is, actually, after the first year, you typically aren't going to go back to it. You kind of get in a, a, a pattern where you're like, I'm not going to start smoking weed. Or maybe you do. Let's see. Others like Connor Hunter Kaiser, man, these names, 29 of Philadelphia said that while he does not doubt that some people who have struggled with addiction can find a healthy approach to substance use, he has concluded that full abstinence is the right answer for him. Addiction runs in his family, he said, and past efforts to consume drugs in moderation always failed. It's a disease, Mr. Hunter Kaiser said. I know myself and I don't want to play with fire any longer. Tiffany Feed Fiddy Fetty Feedy of Austin, Texas once held similar views, but her outlook changed after her husband died in 2020. Seeing him struggle with opioid addiction, um, she said she did what she had learned in the addiction recovery circles where their romance began years earlier. She watched him like a hawk, persuaded his dealer to stop supplying pills and balked when her husband suggested they take psychoactive mushrooms might be helpful. I put my foot down, she said. I was indoctrinated by this belief system that held that that would be harmful. Still, she said, her husband died of a methadone overdose. Grieving, Mrs. Feed said she began using magic mushrooms herself, an experience that led her to recalibrate her approach to mind-altering substances. Mrs. Feed said she... Ms. Feed said she took three grams of psilocybin mushrooms, a trip that helped me to not feel lonely for the first time. Ms. Feed said she no longer regards terms like sobriety useful and have ceased to think of herself as a recovering addict. These days, she said her use of mushrooms and other mind-altering com compounds is intentional and often done ritualistically. They have eased her grief, brought her joy, and made her a better parent, she said. Um... Let's see. One question, though, continues to tug at her. If she had indulged his desire to try treating his opioid addiction with magic mushrooms, would he still be alive? Well, interesting. That's a, yeah, so it sounds like it, it, it does help for some. They have pictures and she's got like uh, hippie tattoos. So, yeah, there's, hmm. 
Now, I'll tell you this about the about this particular uh, person. She also said that these deep journeys have made me more patient, more loving, and more graceful with myself. That sentence is telling that she no longer regards terms like sobriety useful and has ceased to think of herself as a recovering addict. It is a mind, you know, I've always said it is a mindset. Um, I've seen, you know, these people, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just a different mind. It's just a different thought uh, perception, which is they, it's like a ritualistic, it's almost like joining a religion. People that are all in about mushrooms, you know, there's, you know, they try to, they tell you it's different because they do it in a more, like it says, uh, you know, the, the use of mushrooms is intentional and often done ritualistically, you know, oh no, I don't just eat them and watch family guy. I, uh, I sit down and meditate. I play um, some really god awful fucking music um, that have bongos and usually uh, uh, accompanied with a, a didgeridoo. But that's fine. Once again, everybody's got different things. It's, you got to find out what works. But that's the thing. But it's belief. It's a, it, it, the reason I say like religion. It's a belief system. A lot like 12 step is it only works if you believe it. So if you believe in it and it helps you pull you out of where you were, because we all go through different phases. So she went, she did, she was doing the 12, 12 step and her husband ODs on fucking methadone, which fuck me, man. That's, that's a, what a, that's a terrible way to go. It's, you know, and, I I personally think that methadone is some bullshit. I uh, I'm I there are there are other ways to go clinically. Methadone's like some some shit from the fucking seventies that's still hanging around, and apparently the withdrawal symptoms are even worse than heroin. Like trying to get off of methadone is even harder than trying to get off of a uh, fucking junk, which is just crazy. But it's essentially what this this article is just it's weird. It's it I don't think there was a there's not even a point to this New York Times fucking article other than uh hey, just uh yeah. This should have been t- titled People have all different kinds of goddamn uh, ideas and shit. You know, it's just like it's everyone has a different uh a different perspective and uh some things work from some people and other things also work for some people. So you have to kind of find what works for you. Um, but the thing about it is, is that, and uh, yeah, uh, it's, wow. I have gone 30 minutes reading this fucking article. My apologies, or you're welcome. Um, I think what it comes down to though, is it's it's interesting it's the the thing that gets me about fucking different kinds of psychedelics um is that they're trendy 
and trendy bothers me. Ketamine treatments, um, ayahuasca, different kind of, all of a sudden, people who are just dealing, you know, having problems dealing with life. Maybe they don't like their therapist. They're like, they're like, I know, why don't I find a shaman? As if, you know, and try to, and try to work on it this way. You know, there let's, let's find different other things that have been successful for, uh, people who are dealing with, uh, you know, they, they seem to help veterans with their PTSD. Maybe they can help me with my slight, um, annoyances that I have in life. Okay. Um, and I don't know what, and I get it. It's the, the appeal of the ritual is like, this has got to be, you know, it's, it's legit because there's a shaman over there. I know he's a shaman cause he's dressed like one. And I get it because I mean, I, I like the concept of Buddhism. I like the meditation. I like the ritual. You know, I like the idea if I could walk down to a temple, if I had a local temple, I could just stroll into and meditate next to bald Asian dudes in robes every Sunday so that I could, you know, it's the, it's appealing sounding. I was like, that's kind of cool, but it's just, it's just like the, just the, I don't know. It's, it's just what the, it sounds, it just sounds, eh, I can't even describe it. It's the, it's style. It's a stylistically is like, Oh, this is cool. Is it effective? I don't know, but it's cool. It seems cool to be, you know, Oh, I meditate at a monastery every Sunday. That sounds cooler than I, I uh, went to mass today. Like it just, you know, it's, oh, it's exotic. It's not American. You know, it's not what we're used to. It's not conventional. People like things that are unconventional. It sounds different. It's like, oh, it's like a medicine man gave me some peyote. Okay. You sure that was a medicine man? I thought his name was Harold. No, he's a part-time medicine man when he's uh, not working at the... Uh, uh, snack and save. All right. You guys get my point. We're running long. Are we? Sure. It's fine. Still soberpod at gmail.com for any questions or comments that are positive to neutral. The point I needed to make is just, you got to find your own way. However, should your way be unconventional? Should you find something that works for you. That's great. All that matters is it doesn't matter. You, you don't have to be a certain label. You don't have to do a certain way. As long as you are able to function as an adult and that you're not fucking, you know, a prisoner of a substance that you've got to keep taking or that you've got to get a hold of. That's really what matters. But it's not sobriety, all right? Just quit calling it sober. You know, I'm sober-ish. Like, come on. 
just, you don't have to be sober. There's no, you know, there's no, you're not trying to, to win a contest. You don't have to, you don't have to meet a label. It's just what it is. All right? That's it. Appreciate it. We'll see you next week. All right, you guys. Yeah.